Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas and welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a bizarre story coming out of Haiti. Haitian gangs are using churches to smuggle arms into the country. We'll explain how the scheme works. And a church in Alabama has to pay back nearly a half million dollars given to it a decade ago because the man who gave the gift has now declared bankruptcy. And this church is not alone. We'll have details. Later in the program, we look at the popular Bible app, YouVersion. It's released its annual list of the most searched Bible verses of the year. We begin today with news that an engineer for one of the nation's largest Christian broadcasters has been sued over misappropriation of funds. The Association of Professional Radio Engineers, or APRI, has filed a suit against Shane Toven, who's a senior broadcast engineer employed by Educational Media Foundation. Now, if Educational Media Foundation doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably do know them by their more familiar name, the K-Love Radio Network. The suit filed in federal court in California in on December 8th, claims that Shane Tovin misappropriated more than $100,000 during his tenure as treasurer of the Association for Professional Radio Engineers. That is according to a report in Radio World magazine. Between 2018 and 2022, Tovin misappropriated over $108,000 of APRI's money in total, according to the suit. The Educational Media Foundation confirmed Tovin's employment at the company on Friday, December 15th. Mr. Tovin is taking some time away to manage his personal affairs. The matter is unrelated to his employment at EMF. That, according to Bethany Davis, who is the Senior Vice President of Communications, uh, she said that in a response to a, an inquiry from Ministry Watch. Tovin also served as editor of Radio Magazine from uh, 2014 to 2015. His LinkedIn profile has been deactivated. According to the lawsuit, the matter came to light in December of last year, 2022, when APRI discovered personal charges on its Wells Fargo checking account. APRI made inquiries to Tovin about the purchases, but he didn't respond, at least according to the lawsuit. The lawsuit asserts that Tovin used the money from APRI's checking account not only to make payments to his personal credit cards, but also for small purchases, such as meals at fast food restaurants. Restaurants. APRI claims that it sent two letters to Tovin seeking an explanation about the fund's discrepancy and warning him of legal action if he received no reply. Tovin has not yet filed a response with the court. Our next story is also a financial story, which if you're not super business minded, it might seem kind of boring. But this story is one church and ministry leaders really need to pay close attention to. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, it's a story of St. Andrew's Methodist Church in Coleman, Alabama, but it's also the story of a lot more churches, and it could even include maybe some churches from listeners today. Uh, now, the folks at that church had no reason to believe that the donations that it had received from Brad Johnson more than a decade ago, from 2012 to 2014, were 
any different from donations that they had received from other donors. In fact, the donations totaled about $700,000. The size of the donations might have been the only difference from any other donor. But Brad Johnson had made his money as a shareholder in a company called HDL, which stands for Health Diagnostic Laboratory in Richmond, Virginia. The company subsequently, though, went bankrupt, and now the church has been ordered to pay back nearly a half million dollars in donations. It has had to refinance its building in order to comply with the court order demand for money. Man, it doesn't really seem fair that the church would have to pay back funds that it received more than a decade ago. Well, it may not seem fair, but in this case, it appears to be perfectly legal. In an effort to cover recover uh, the $220 million judgment that was levied in total against all the shareholders, the bankruptcy trustee, whose name is Richard Aerosmith, filed a complaint under Section 550 of the Federal Bankruptcy Code against St. Andrew's Methodist Church. And St. Andrews is not alone. As part of this large bankruptcy case, dozens of churches and nonprofit groups are being pursued for funds they received from shareholders. Now, you may have noticed that the church doesn't have to pay back the entire $700,000. I said a moment ago that it was a little less than a half million. To be precise, it's $468,000. But it did have to refinance its church building to make the settlement, to pay the settlement rather, and it's a huge burden because the church has only about 150 members. According to St. Andrew's pastor, Robert Lancaster, uh, the bank loan will cut deep into our missions and ministry funds because our mortgage payment went up a substantial amount. Now we're doing fundraisers to make sure that we still do have money for mission and ministry. Uh, this was just wrong to make us pay back almost a half a million dollars, Lancaster added. He reached out to the United Methodist Conference, to which it belonged, uh, to see if he could get some help, but the conference was able to offer no help at all. Now, earlier you said dozens of churches were named. What's going to happen in those cases? Well, that's right. Dozens were named, and most of them, though, have already settled. An attorney for the ch churches um, said that first United Methodist Church in Center, Alabama, had the best set of facts and circumstances for a defense, so they decided to focus all of their energies just on that one case, thinking that, well, if First United Methodist Church won, maybe the others would have a chance, and if they didn't win, then none of the others would have a chance. So unfortunately, First United Methodist Church did, in fact, lose their case, and that's when all the other churches uh, agreed to a settlement with uh, the bankruptcy judge. Uh, along with dozens of churches, the trustees are also pursuing recovery from nonprofit groups, including Voice of the Martyrs, Child Evangelism Fellowship, the Wounded Warrior Project, which of course is not a Christian group, but a well-known nonprofit, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take a break. It's the story of a South Carolina pastor who was sentenced to 40 years in prison for sexual abuse. The former South Carolina pastor had been sentenced after being convicted of sexually assaulting his two daughters over a period that exceeded 10 years. The former pastor of Dunn's Chapel in West Columbia is William Oswald, now 62 years old. 
The two daughters, who are now adults, recently came forward with accusations of the abuse at the hands of their father. The women said that they were each assaulted more than 100 times by their father, the former pastor, and much of it happened when they were living in a parsonage owned by Dunn's Chapel Church. Oswald spent hours of testimony in trial proclaiming his innocence, but at the end of the five-day trial, the jury found him guilty of all charges. He was sentenced to 20 years in the South Carolina Department of Corrections for each daughter he abused, and that's a total of 40 years. Warren, it's time for a short break. When we return, the remarkable story of how gangs in Haiti are exploiting churches to smuggle weapons into the country. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey, everybody, Warren Smith here, taking a quick break from the news of the week with Natasha to uh, fill you in a little bit on what's going on here at Ministry Watch. Number one, I wanted to let you know that we published a list of our Shining Light Award winners a couple of days ago. It's on the website right now. Uh, It's a list of about 20 ministries that have the top score in all three categories. I really hope you'll take a look at that list and use it as a giving guide here at year end. A lot of times people ask me, Warren, who should we give to? You know, we've been given to this ministry for years, but we're hearing some things about it that we don't like. Any alternatives in the adoption space or in the evangelism space? Well, we've got that list just for you. Take a look at it and um, redirect some of your giving. Uh, One of the things that we like to do here at Ministry Watch is to um, rob from the bad guys and redeploy that money to the good guys. And this is a great way uh, to do that. So listen, thanks for listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Thanks for your support of Ministry Watch this year. And I hope you will use Ministry Watch to help you make wise giving decisions. But whoever you give to, Give generously, even sacrificially, and give joyfully during this joyful Christmas season. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next is the story we promised before the break. It's a bizarre story of how gangs and paramilitary forces in Haiti are using churches to import guns and ammunition into this chaotic country. How does that work? On one level, it's pretty easy to understand. When you ship goods to another country, you have to put those goods through customs. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, Natasha, have had to, you know, go through customs whenever they have traveled internationally. uh, And, you know, you are asked to make declarations and sometimes your luggage gets inspected. Well, that happens on a much larger scale with freight shipments uh, around the world as well. The goods are often inspected or at least the records for those goods are are inspected. The laws in most countries, in fact, are pretty strict about these matters. But in Haiti, I'm guessing it's not so strict. Yeah, that's exactly right. For one thing, Haiti is more or less a failed state at this point. The rule of law there is very close to non-existent. Secondly, because things are so bad there, Haiti's law allows for churches to get an exemption from most customs requirements. They're trying to get relief goods into the country quickly. Uh, But uh, unfortunately, in this case, uh, that uh, 
lax law has been exploited. In the case that we're following, firearms were sent to the Episcopal Church of Haiti. So that means that shipments sent to uh, churches would be able to enter the country far faster, but also with a lot less scrutiny. Yeah, that's right. In October, a Haitian judge announced charges against several people in this case, uh, which has turned into a dizzyingly convoluted conspiracy involving Episcopal priests, high-ranking Haitian officials, and Haitians who live in South Florida, especially in Palm Beach County. So are you saying that the churches were complicit in these arms deals? Well, no, but they were pawns in this system. Um, This appears to be a textbook illustration of the way easily purchased guns here in the United States, taking advantage of those lax laws that we've already discussed, make it pretty easy to get those guns into Haiti and the gangs sort of exploit both ends of the system. The Episcopal Church claims that it was an innocent victim in this deal. Samuel Madistan, a Haitian human rights attorney who represents the Episcopal Church, said that the Episcopal Church never requested the containers that those guns were trafficked in. In his order last month, the Haitian judge in this case, who is Martel Jean-Claude, did largely agree with the attorney and exonerated the Episcopal Church, though he did charge some of the priests for aiding the Haitian officials who allegedly directed this particular scheme. Now, the most prominent of these officials charged by Judge Jean-Claude for orchestrating the arms deal is Johnny Doctor. He is a top assistant to Haiti's economy and finance minister, Michel Patrick Beauvert. So is this kind of thing ongoing in Haiti? It appears to have been going on for years, and as I said, it helps explain how gangs in Haiti are so well-armed. But I should also add that Congress here in the United States is trying to act and keep this sort of thing from happening again in the future. Uh, There's been a law introduced into both the House and the Senate. It's called the Haiti Criminal Collusion Transparency Act, and it would give the U.S. government, in particular the State Department, more leverage to sanction, if not prosecute, people here and in Haiti who aid Haiti's gangs. It passed the House earlier this year, and a similar bill is pending in the Senate. Now, one of the bill's sponsors said that cases like the Episcopal Church arms scandal um, make it make getting this collusion bill passed even more imperative right now as we're looking for solutions to help stabilize Haiti. Our next story involves two popular Christian bands. Mercy Me and Newsboys. A lot of our listeners may know these popular, well-known Christian music bands. Uh, They've partnered with the child sponsorship group Children International as part of their band tours. And that sounds like good news for the bands. Well, it is. Getting a sponsorship from a large organization such as Children International makes it possible for bands to go on the road and put on big productions. But in this case, Children International is not a Christian organization, and that's causing some confusion and consternation. In fact, we learned about this story from a fan of those bands who went to one of the shows, sponsored a child after an elaborate and emotional pitch at the concert, only to learn later that sharing the gospel with these children is not a part of Children International's sponsorship program. 
And Christian bands partnering with child sponsorship or other mercy ministries is quite common. Uh, it's a common practice. It is. Uh, Compassion International, for example, has been partnering with Christian musical groups since uh, the 1970s. It began, in fact, with a name that some of our listeners of a certain age might remember. The Imperials were the first band to get a Compassion sponsorship. It currently works with about 100 bands who are passionate about our mission of releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name, including for King and Country, Casting Crowns, Phil Wickham, Jeremy Camp. Uh, all of this information came to us, by the way, via Compassion spokesperson Tim Glenn. Now, Compassion International is a distinctly Christian ministry whose mission is Christ-centered, church-driven, and child-focused. It partnerships with Christian musical artists has led to the sponsorship of over 400,000 children, Tim Glenn told Ministry Watch. So what's wrong with partnering with non-Christian groups, especially if they're still helping children? Well, it's a great question, and, and I guess everyone will have to make this decision for themselves, especially those that might, for example, go to a Mercy Me concert and have to make a decision about sponsoring a child. But we reached out to the Chalmers Center for Economic Development, and uh, they acknowledge that secular groups can do good work in the field, such as feeding the hungry, caring for the sick. But Justin Lonis, who is the director of Foundational Projects and Regional Partnerships, for the Chalmers Center, told uh, Ministry Watch, specifically told Kim Roberts, who wrote this story, that for Christians seeking to fund ministry work, we would encourage them to look whenever possible for opportunities to fund organizations that hold forth the love and worship of Christ in the midst of doing good physical work. He went on to say, if two organizations side by side do the exact same work in the exact same way, but one embeds the truth of Christ and God's story of redemption in all of their work, and one doesn't, we'd recommend that Christians fund the organization that is more fully holistic by keeping the gospel connect to all the work of restoration. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take another break. Yeah, it's the story um, of what we have been calling the new paradigm in missionary efforts. We've done several stories so far this year on this topic. It's a strategy that places less emphasis on sending missionaries from the United States and more emphasis on training and supportive native church planters and disciple-making ministries already overseas. A ministry called Global Assist is a leader in this so-called new paradigm, and Global Assist founder Dr. Jim Kirshner says that missionary efforts of the past have been good. They've resulted in millions of Christians um, all around the world. And the challenge, though, today of American evangelicals is different. We've got to learn how to humbly and effectively support these church leaders who were already in place all over the world. Kirscher's position is that it's not that we should stop completely sending Western missionaries but new efforts should be focused on these mature Christian leaders who are already operating in countries around the world. Global Assist itself is currently uh, working in 30 countries in Africa, Asia, and South America. Uh, the Global Ministry Partners represent about 1,500 full-time church planting indigenous missionaries as part of their team. 
It's time for another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey, everybody, Warren Smith here again with uh, a quick announcement. I wanted to let you know that uh, we're going to be expanding the podcast in the year ahead. We're going to be doing more interviews. I've discovered by looking at the metrics that you guys like those interviews that I do. Um, And we're going to stick as much as we can close to the issues that, uh, you know, Ministry Watch covers, transparency and accountability, but occasionally we might wander afield. Uh, If you're a regular listener to the Ministry Watch podcast, for example, you heard my interview with Steve Camp, Christian musician, but he's also someone who has a lot to say about the state of evangelicalism, so I thought it would be a good fit Uh, for the podcast, or at least a little bit of a palate cleanser uh, for those of you that, you know, don't want all numbers all the time. So uh, one thing you can do to help us expand the podcast is uh, refer us to other people. Uh, Like us or share us on social media, rate us on your podcast app. You know, those things don't cost you a dime, and you'd be surprised. They really do help us here at Ministry Watch. Uh, The algorithms look for those ratings and those likes and shares whenever they are recommending podcasts to other people. So simply by doing that, you can help expand the reach of the Ministry Watch podcast. So that's it. Listen, thanks a bunch for listening. Uh, Merry Christmas to you as we approach this year end, and let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, first up is a tragic story out of New Hampshire. Uh, Jarrett Booker, who is a youth and worship pastor at Nashua Baptist Church in Nashua, New Hampshire, took his own life five days after his church discovered that he was under criminal investigation for child sexual abuse. Booker was 37 years old and is survived by his wife, Rachel, and a young son. The church said in a statement released via Facebook and then posted on its website that he had been an integral part of the church for nearly a decade, and the alleged abuse that had gone on for years surfaced suddenly as the responses unfolded publicly over the course of a single week. Nashua Baptist Church issued a statement regarding the situation. It said that it unequivocally condemns all forms of abuse. It is evil, and our God hates it, the statement said. We are committed to transparency and to supporting the healing process for victims. The statement went on to say, We are dedicated to supporting everyone affected by Jarrett's inexcusable actions, both within our church and beyond. We ask for your prayers as we navigate this devastating situation. Well, on a more positive note, YouVersion, the popular Bible app, released its annual list of the most searched Bible verses of 2023. Now, that list of the most popular searches does reflect a bit of hope, or at least a search for hope. The top 10 verses that were searched in 2023 include, for example, the number one verse, Isaiah 41, verse 10, which begins, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not 
be dismayed, for I am your God. I'm quoting the New International Version there for you Bible scholars, and I should also note that that's the number one verse for the third year in a row on Version. Now, other popular searches include familiar verses like John 3.16 and Jeremiah 29.11, but also Philippians 4.6, which says, do not be anxious for about anything. I should also note, Natasha, that uh, Version is also one of those places where Americans aren't arguing about politics and God. Uh, the president of the organization said that they try to stay clear of politics or culture war feuds. And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference this week? Yeah, she had a robust list this week, including O'Fallon Assembly of God in O'Fallon, Illinois. They dedicated a week of service to the local community that was focused on prayer, serving, and reaching out to the local community. One of the service projects they called the Mayor's Project because they asked the town mayor to assign the church a project that otherwise wouldn't get done. And in this case, it included cleaning up the property of an 81-year-old veteran. The church is already planning for next year's event. It was so successful. Also want to note Elder Orphan Care, which is near my home here in North Carolina. Uh, this group packed 400 Christmas tote bags of joy and wrapped over 200 wish list gifts for the elderly in Quebec. Barris and Rowan counties, which are kind of northeastern suburbs of Charlotte. The gifts will be distributed this week. Elder Orphan Care also works with the orphaned elderly in Romania. And of course, I did want to mention Samaritan's Purse because of the disaster in Middle Tennessee and the Nashville area recently. They've deployed two disaster relief units, which are tractor trailers filled with tools and equipment, to two different Tennessee locations in Middle Tennessee, where six people died on December 9th as a result of tornadoes. So far, 170 volunteers have served 30 families using the disaster relief unit tools. They've hauled away debris and are helping with the cleanup efforts. And you have a note about my former employer, Save the Storks. Yeah, Save the Storks right there with you, Natasha, in Colorado Springs, recently celebrated the completion of its 100th mobile medical clinic, um, sometimes called Stork Buses, uh, with a Christmas worship concert on December 10th. The National Pro-Life Ministry invited attendees to tour the Stork Bus before it was deployed to the Pregnancy Resource Center in Maryville, Tennessee. Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, as I've said before, we're in the most critical time of the year for fundraising when it comes to Christian ministries, and that would include Ministry Watch, of course. Uh, we need to raise about a quarter of our budget. Uh, our budget is uh, about $450,000. We've got to raise $117,000 in the months of November and December, and we've just passed $78,000, so we're about two-thirds of the way there, which is great, but <laughs> we only have about 10 days left to go. Now, if you've already given to Ministry Watch, let me just say thank you. If you've not, I hope you will prayerfully consider a gift to Ministry Watch by year end. Just go to the Ministry Watch website and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And of course, I should add that Ministry Watch is not alone. Some ministries have to raise even more than we have to raise during these last two months, as much as 40% of their annual budget in the final 60 days of the year. So if uh, you would like to help somebody else or Ministry Watch, we do want you to give wisely. Uh, whether you give to us or not, we hope you'll use our database to make giving decisions and that you will give both wisely and generously during this 
year-end season. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Daniel Ritchie, Steve Raby, Tim Paget, Catherine Post, Bob Smetania, and Christina Darnell. A special thanks to WLRN for contributing materials for this week's podcast. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.